This is made possible by Dustin Campbell, O Them Bones, Daily Tech News Show, Andy Beach, Nick Wood, and Craig. The United States debt ceiling is a legal limit set by Congress on the total amount of debt that the United States government can accumulate to finance its operations. It represents the maximum level of borrowing allowed by the government. I don't know if you've paid attention to the news, but we are currently in a debt ceiling crisis. It might be resolved by the time that you hear this, but if you're listening to it when we release it, I doubt it. Now, we've spent a lot of time talking about the political causes and ramifications of our current crisis, but since past is prologue with these kinds of things, we're going to take a look back in time and see the last time that the country dealt with this. Friends, prepare to go back to 2011. As we go dancing on the debt ceiling of DC Calamity Past. For Dog and Pony Show Audio, I'm Justin Robert Young, and this is Politics, Politics, Politics. So, first things first, we need to understand the world that we are walking into. Down 1.7% here, a loss of 37 points or so. Apple shares are just getting hammered this morning. We're down by between 3 and 4.5% generally across these markets. Let's talk about the speed with which we are watching this market deteriorate. We're red everywhere, essentially, down by 4 5%. We're down over 16%. Dow, at the same time, has fallen about 18%. Among the backdrop of the 2008 presidential campaign came a financial meltdown, an economic boom, which had carried America since the early 90s, came to a screeching halt with worldwide ramifications. If this were the finance, finance, finance podcast, we would probably spend more time on that specifically. But politically, that event drew a few immediate reactions. First, the result of that election. The already unpopular Bush administration suffered its final defeat by turning over the reins of power to the Democratic Party and their new scion, Barack Obama. Sorry about that, John McCain. Second, two flanks affiliated with the broader mainstream coalitions became more animated. So to think about it like this, think about the Republican and Democratic parties as being baked together coalitions. So in Europe or in parliamentary systems, these coalitions kind of come and go and are constantly negotiating with each other. Here in America, they kind of come pre-packaged. But every once in a while, some of the elements of those coalitions get a little frisky. And that's what happened. On the left, progressivism became louder, bolder, less tameable. The Occupy Wall Street movement is often pointed at as the loudest possible demonstration. And then on the right... Second, remember to vote smart. It's an unlikely first stop on what Tea Party activists are describing as a 42-city tour of demonstrations against the Obama administration that will culminate on April 15th in Washington. Searchlight, a former mining town in the Nevada desert south of Las Vegas, is where Harry Reid, the Democratic leader in the U.S. Senate, was born and still maintains a home. 
Reid, who shepherded Obama's health care reform bill through the Senate, is at risk of not being re-elected in November, not just because of his support of the president, but also because Nevada is facing double-digit unemployment as well as record rates of home foreclosure and bankruptcy. The main speaker at Saturday's event was the conservative movement's rising star, Sarah Palin. Here in Searchlight and across the country, we're sending a message to Washington. It's loud and it's clear. And in these upcoming elections, we're saying that the big government, big debt, Obama, Pelosi, Reid spending spree is over. You're fired. The Tea Party movement is a loosely organized coalition of conservative groups that have been angered by government spending and the growing role of the public sector in the economy. The new health care law is the latest catalyst for conservative fury. In the past week, some politicians who voted for the reform saw their offices vandalized and one even received a stark warning. I hope you die. Palin says her movement is not stirring up violence. The former Alaska governor was pulled from obscurity in 2008 when then-Republican presidential candidate John McCain named her his running mate. She was in his home state of Arizona Friday, paying him back for the favor. McCain is facing a tough re-election battle for the Senate against a right-wing member of his own party and is hoping Palin's blessing will save his seat. I'm from Alaska. But Palin has now become a potent political personality in her own right. And she is trying to channel right-wing anger into a campaign aimed at ousting Democrats like Harry Reid from Congress and urging conservatives to fight for what they believe. But it is still too early to say whether the Tea Party movement is credible enough to propel Republicans to victory in November. Roger Wilkerson, Al Jazeera. The reality is that dissatisfaction with the mainstream of both the Republican and Democratic coalition reached a point where a detachment of activists and voters had a growing say in how the government was run and politics were viewed. The people were flexing their power. After all, if you guys were so good at running things, one can imagine both of them saying, why does everything suck? We'll probably examine the progressive boom of this era another day. But for this story, we're going to focus on the Tea Party and the politics of fighting. Now, there's a phenomenon that certainly ruled then and continues today. And I'm going to give it a little bit of a name here. It's the, if you were smart, phenomenon. This is a very attractive strategy for folks that are outside of power, that are not used to making any kind of concessions to keep things moving. I'm going to illustrate this phenomenon by playing you an old MasterCard commercial <laughs> featuring then Green Bay Packers quarterback Brett Favre wandering through the streets of a fictional town judging the townsfolk. A child who spilled ice cream on his sweater, a man being too far from the gas pump, and a construction crew accidentally drilling into a water main. I would have gone vanilla with that sweater. Ice cream, $3. I think I would park a little closer. Gas, $22. Whoa. I think. Haircut, $30. What? Ah, I would have looked out for the water main. But that's just me. Monday morning quarterbacks. 
priceless. There are some things money can't buy. For everything else, there's MasterCard. I would have double bagged it. If you were smart, the sentence invariably begins, you would simply tell the other side to pound sand. You would stand up for your principles. You know, be tough, be pure. Don't be a capitulator. Capitulators are the reason why we got into this. If we're not fighting, we're losing. But just being pure gets old. Be tough is a jockey phrase. D.C. D.C. is a nerd town. Nerds like to outthink their opponents. Find the flaw in the Kobayashi Maru or some other reference from Dune. And like the Fremen Mahdi of Star Trek, we get eggheads who introduce the evolution of if you were smart. Like that one friend who loves to play complicated board games because they read the 60-page manual and you didn't, we get if you were smart, you'd use an otherwise ceremonial moment of leverage as if it were a knife at your opponent's throat. I think we can all agree that this line of thinking is certainly present in our modern political meta. And this is one of the moments in which we begin to see its popularization. Erode the norms created by those at the center of power to punish the other side. After all, the other side contains radicals, and they'll do it if we don't. Each offense is one that deserves retribution, and we start casting them against each other like magic spells. If you withhold bringing a Supreme Court nominee to the floor, I block it by looking to expand the Supreme Court bench. Two damage, two damage. And so, as the Tea Party is swept into power during Obama's first midterms in 2010, the plan becomes set, many of which getting elected by promising the following. They will take a moment that had been drama-free up until this point, and you put your foot down. Extract a pound of flesh in 2011 by leveraging the debt ceiling. The debt ceiling had, as I mentioned before, a bipartisan history of being resolved fairly cleanly. Because, of course, defaulting on the national debt is something that nobody wants to do. But it is something that needs to get done. And if nothing gets done in D.C. without a crisis, then putting Obama on the line to possibly default on credit in the middle of a recession was certainly something they were willing to try. What followed is a two-year process for which we are currently living through an echo of. We're going to get to the three phases of it, all the players involved, and whether or not it did anything. Then again, you already know that. Spoiler alert, we're 10 years later, and, well, we're doing it again. All that after this. This is your update. 
Brought to you by TakePoliticsSeriously.com. Again, TakePoliticsSeriously.com. That's where you get your bonus episodes of this very show. Please, come on. Do me a favor. Head on over. Get your $3 a week subscription all sorted out. You get double episodes each and every week. You already get two for free. Now you get two more. And this is a week where you really want it because, guys, I don't really have an update for you because things are changing so fast. If you want the full breakdown of Ron DeSantis's campaign rollout, unfortunately, I'm recording this in the studio before I have seen it. I have to travel. So I don't want to do a vague thing that that might have to be edited out at the 11th hour. So unfortunately, I'm going to have to make this an actual commercial. I usually try to bring some nutrition to this. I usually try to give you guys something that you can focus on. Oh, here's something you can focus on. Tim Scott's campaign brought in $2 million since he announced. There we go. We got a little nutrition. That's okay. Not thrilling, but nice. But I don't know what's going to happen with the debt ceiling. I don't know what, what what the Ron DeSantis rollout is currently happening right now. The only thing we know right now as I record this is that he is officially filed with the FEC. And he's not going to do a big event in his hometown on June 1st. Today, his interview with Trey Gowdy on Fox and then his Twitter spaces with Elon Musk and David Sachs is going to be... His rollout never backed down has a a ad out. But again, I will break all of it down in our Thursday episode. It is already out. If you want to get it, then go ahead and get it now. I don't like doing this. I don't like just teasing you guys. I try to make this nutritional, but things are just moving too fast. TakePoliticsSeriously.com is where you need to go. $3 a week. Got another coffee this week, by the way. More than three bucks. Tall coffee at Joe's. Not a tall, I mean a, a, a large coffee. Forget the Starbucks indoctrination. A large coffee at Joe's Coffee here in South Austin. $3.40. Cheaper than that. Cheaper than a cup of coffee. TakePoliticsSeriously.com. Before we go any further, the national debt in the United States of America has exploded since 1980. It surprised me to realize that our modern debt has almost exclusively been created in the 40 years that I've been alive. It stands today as I speak to you at over $30 trillion and counting. It's at this moment I'm also going to point you to Andrew Heaton's Political Orphanage podcast. He did a fantastic episode about the debt, and you can go listen to it right now. If you want to learn more about the actual concepts of national debt, where it comes from historically, where we are now, why we've gotten into this situation, well, go listen to that episode. He does a fantastic job. It is the most entertaining You will ever hear this concept explained because by and large, it's a bit of a dry subject, but Heaton does a lot. Also, 
He gets a bunch of plugs in for the fact that his dear dog Wallace recently got a cancer diagnosis. And I would encourage everybody listening here. If you love dogs, I know a lot of you love dogs. Go to mightyheaton.com slash save Wallace. That is mightyheaton.com slash save Wallace. And you will, you know, throw some money the man's way. I'm throwing money the man's way. It's a good episode. He's a good boy. All you need to know for the purposes of this episode, however, are two things. As this story begins in 2011, the national debt is around $14 trillion, having grown from less than a trillion in 1980. And Obama's signature legislation, Obamacare, has made the concept broadly defined of government spending, I'm putting air quotes here, a very animating issue on the right. Meaning if you talk about government spending and being against it, you are going to get people into a booth and they are going to hit your button more than someone else. The Tea Party representatives are elected in part on the idea that they will pull the reins of out of control government spending or grind the entire process down to a halt in trying. And so we begin with the debt ceiling fight. Here's a clip from July 27, 2011, when then Speaker of the House John Boehner is attempting to get his caucus on board to pass a bill to send to the Senate. The latest on the debt standoff. And finally, the Speaker of the House deciding to crack the whip as the clock shows five days until the deadline. House Speaker John Boehner unleashed a tirade against members of his own party, Tea Party Republicans, who have been blocking action. Will it work? ABC's John Carl on Capitol Hill tonight. Tell us about it, John. Diane, this is John Boehner's biggest test as Speaker of the House. He's got to convince those Tea Party Republicans to support his plan to raise the debt ceiling. John Boehner is cracking the whip. He convened a meeting of all 240 House Republicans today. Sources who were there tell ABC he had a blunt message for Tea Partiers. Get your ass in line, he said. I can't do this job unless you are behind me. Is that we, the kind of talk we, that gets you guys in line? We are we are a team. We are about trying to move the country forward. The tough talk does appear to be working, but it's not an easy sell. Some of the Tea Partiers still just don't believe those dire warnings about government default. Uh, Armageddon happens at midnight August 3 is not simply the case and is not true. Just yesterday, Kevin McCarthy, the third-ranking Republican in the House, urged Republicans to unite behind Boehner's plan by showing this clip from the movie The Town. I need your help. I can't tell you what it is. You can never ask me about it later, and we're going to hurt some people. Whose car are we going to take? Tea Party Republican Alan West liked what he heard. So I got up and told the speaker, I'll, I'll drive the car. And in a sign that in 2011, Ben Affleck's comeback was well and truly underway, it worked. Boehner was able to get the Tea Party together although it took a little straining, foreshadowing for Boehner. But still, they were able to put it together. Here's a clip of Biden leaving a meeting of House Democrats where he was whipping the other side of this negotiated bill. Look, I didn't go to convince. I went to explain and lay out exactly how we got to where we were and why this is so important for the country. 
my career up here, after 36 years, I never ask another person to vote against what they think they're interested in. I am confident. My sense, I was treated well. My sense is that they expressed they expressed all their frustration, which I'd be frustrated by sitting there as well. Uh, that that we're that we came we're taken down to the wire like this, and so what they want to know is uh, they ask questions specifically about the proposed legislation. Excuse me, sorry. Um, the proposed legislation. I thought it was a good meeting, um, and uh, and I, I feel confident that uh, that uh, this will pass. And it worked. On July 31st, 2011, President Obama made his announcement. An agreement had been reached between the leaders of both parties in the House and the Senate. The deal promised to reduce the deficit and avoid a default. Speaker Boehner's office detailed the agreement for House Republicans on that same day. In the agreement's first installment, it was specified that spending would be cut more than the increase in the debt limit. A substantial $917 billion would be trimmed over 10 years in exchange for increasing the debt limit by $900 billion. The deal also established a Congressional Joint Select Committee. This group's mission was to produce legislation for a debt reduction by November 23, 2011. This legislation would be immune to amendments or filibusters and aimed to cut at least $1.5 trillion from the deficit over the subsequent decade. The committee consisted of 12 members with an equal representation of both parties. That legislation created by the Joint Select Committee had to align with the current law's revenue baseline, which presumed the total expiration of the Bush tax cuts at the end of 2012. This all comes back in a second. The agreement built in an incentive for Congress to take action, because if Congress failed to produce deficit a deficit reduction bill with at least 1.2 trillion in cuts they would opt to increase the debt ceiling by the same amount however this would prompt across the board spending cuts equally affecting defense and non-defense programs these cuts known as sequestration would apply to mandatory and discretionary spending from 2013 to 2021 Congress was also required to vote on a balanced budget amendment between October 1st, 2011 and the end of the year. The debt ceiling could be further increased by an additional $1.5 trillion under two conditions. A balanced budget amendment is sent to the states or the joint committee cuts spending to an amount greater than that requested by the debt ceiling increase. Most of the proposed $900 billion in cuts were planned for future years, minimizing the immediate impact on the economy, which at that point, let me remind you, was in a recession. This agreement, known as the Budget Control Act of 2011, was passed in the House on October 1st by a vote of 269 to 161, and then in the Senate by a vote of 74 to 26. Obama signed the bill shortly after it was passed in the Senate. And everyone lived happily ever after. What a great compromise. The budget was dealt with and Obama came through unscathed. John Boehner was able to reign in the Tea Party. Just kidding. We don't live in that universe. No, of course nothing happened. And then eventually we had to deal with it a few years down the road. 
In fact, the consequences of this deal happened a little bit sooner than that. The national debt rose $238 billion, or about 60% of that entire new debt ceiling, in one day, August 3rd the largest increase in the history of the United States. The U.S. debt surpassed 100% of gross domestic product for the first time since World War II. Stocks took a dump. On August 5th, 2011, Standard & Poor's credit rating agency downgraded the long-term credit rating of the United States government for the first time in history from AAA to AA+. It simply kicked the can down the road and that road happened to be a presidential election year. One that was successful for Barack Obama, he beat Mitt Romney, but meant that there was gonna be no gigantic acts from Congress. And sequestration was something that now became a very, very, very real possibility. And lo, on January 1st, 2013, another compromise was reached the American Taxpayer Relief Act of 2012. This came under what many of you might remember as the fiscal cliff, since obviously so many things were tied together. Not only the debt ceiling, but also the expiration of the Bush tax credits and the looming sequestration problem. Deal broke down like this. Budget sequestration that was created during that last compromise was delayed for two months to give time for further negotiations on deficit reduction. The $24 billion cost would be offset by a provision loosening the rules for 401k accounts to be converted to Roth 401k plans requiring taxes to be paid on the assets, as well as a requirement for unspecified cuts to $4 billion for the remainder of fiscal year 2013 and another $8 billion for fiscal year 2014. The sequestration caps for 2014 were lowered to offset the two-month delay, which sets the stage for the final act of this circus, the 2013 debt ceiling issue. This is something that haunted Obama, and there's a reason why Democrats do not want to get back on this battlefield, and they have been very, very upset that this is even an issue, that Joe Biden seems attracted to the idea of a gigantic, high-stakes congressional knife fight. But back to the past. On March 1st, 2013, the sequester, cutting $1.2 over the next decade, went into effect after the parties failed to reach a deal. On March 21st, the House passed a fiscal year 2014 budget that would balance the United States budget in 2023. Huh? This was a shorter period than envisioned in their 2013 budget, which balanced to 2035 and the 2012 budget, which balanced to 2063. It passed the House on a mostly party line 221 to 207 vote. However, later that day, the Senate voted 59 to 40 to reject the House Republican budget. On March 23rd, the Senate passed its own 2014 budget with the 50-49 vote. The House refused to hold a vote on the Senate budget, on April 10th, the president released his own 2014 budget, which was not voted on in either house. Throughout March and April, there were several developments that reduced the sequester's impact. The bill that extended the government's continuing resolution to September 30 lessened the sequester's effect on defense, and later bills removed furloughs on all air traffic control and food service industries. So, 
the gun that was elaborately set up to shoot both parties in the head if they couldn't figure this out were revealed to just be kind of props. All of this leads to a fall showdown with a debt ceiling deadline of late October or early November 2013. Obama and Republicans held opposing views on raising the debt limit. Shocker. Including whether it should even be a topic open for negotiation. Democrats have long said, we never negotiated about this before. Why are we doing it now? It is inappropriate, and the second we start doing it, it's a real give-a-mouse-a-cookie situation. But they'd already done it twice in this administration, so three times a lady. House Republicans presented a series of policies that they wanted to implement before agreeing to extend the debt ceiling beyond October 2013. The three plans broke down like this. If you wanted a long-term debt ceiling increase allowing the Treasury to borrow for the remainder of Obama's term, they said, in return, we want to privatize Medicare or Social Security. So obviously that's a no-go. If you want a medium-term debt ceiling increase, allowing Treasury to borrow until sometime until 2015, they suggested cutting food stamps, implementing the chained consumer price index, enacting tax reform, and agreeing to introduce block grant Medicaid or significantly raising the retirement age. And if you'd like a short-term debt ceiling increase, that would be a default in the first half of 2014, so you're only kicking the can down the road six months. That's basically, by the way, where the Republicans are at right now. They proposed means testing of Social Security, a slight increase in the retirement age, or discontinuing agricultural subsidies. Obama on the other end, argued that the 2013 sequestration cuts already constituted his budget compromise. He already got it. He stated that he had no intention of further negotiating on the matter of debt repayment. However, he expressed his willingness to negotiate on nearly any issue once a clean bill to reopen the government and increase the debt ceiling had been passed. Oh, By the way, this was also happening during a government shutdown. In September 2013, the House of Representatives drafted a bill that would delay default for approximately 12 months from its passage. The bill also included a one-year postponement of the implementation of the Patient Protection and Affordable Care Act, a requirement for both houses of Congress to vote on tax reform plans by the end of 2013, and an expedited process to commence construction of the Keystone XL pipeline. However, the bill did not undergo voting in either the House or the Senate due to certain members of the House Republican Caucus believing that the bill did not entail substantial enough spending cuts to garner Republican support. And as a result, the U.S. government experienced a partial shutdown on October 1st, 2013, leading to approximately 800,000 federal employees being placed on temporary leave. Treasury Secretary Jack Lew reiterated the need to raise the debt ceiling by October 17th. And so, in early October 2013, The House devised a bill that would raise the debt ceiling without any conditions until November 22nd, but maintained a partial government shutdown. That bill 
failed to garner sufficient support from both the House Republicans and Democrats, resulting in its demise. So, no resolution of the pressure. Everything is just as tight as it's ever been. But on October 16th, the Senate approved the Continuing Appropriations Act of 2014, which funded the government until January 15th, 2014, and suspended the debt ceiling until February 7th, 2014. This effectively ended the 2013 federal government shutdown and debt ceiling crisis. The act established a budget conference between the House and Senate to negotiate a long-term spending agreement and implemented stricter income verification for subsidies under the Affordable Care Act. The Senate voted in favor 81 to 18, and the House passed the bill unamended with a vote of 285 to 144. The president signed the bill early the next morning on October 17th, and as a result, the debt ceiling debate and partial government shutdown were, yet again, postponed, allowing federal workers to return on October 17th. On January 14, 2014, the House and Senate Appropriations Committee agreed on a two-year spending plan to fund the federal government. They also passed a bill extending the previous continuing resolution until January 18th. Subsequently, on January 16, 2014, Congress passed a $1.1 trillion appropriations bill that funded the government until October of that year. Obama signed this appropriation bill into law on January 18th. On February, the debt limit suspension expired. The Treasury began implementing something I think you might wind up hearing more of this phrase. Extraordinary measures, once again. Extraordinary measures are what happens after you pass the drop dead limit. And we start to get into very specific questions of which bills the United States is going to pay first in this whole process. And they went into extraordinary measures a few times. The biggest question was, when do the social security checks go out? And can we afford to prioritize certain elements of the government and put off paying other bills? Now, those extraordinary measures here at the end of our story in 2014 were said would only last until February 27th. And so on February 11th, after failing to gain enough support for various conditions to increase the debt ceiling, the House passed a bill suspending the debt ceiling without conditions until March of the following year. The Senate passed the bill without any amendments on February 12th. The president signed it into law on February 15th. Happy Valentine's Day. Kissy, 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 I love you. And that, it didn't feel like an end at the time, but it at least kicked the can down the road a year, seemed to be the end of everybody's patience in terms of dealing with this during the Obama administration. As you can see, there was no easy win. It was a process that kept pushing things down the line, creating another political headache year after year after year after year. You can certainly understand the Democratic point of view that this should not be a thing 
We always come out unhappy from this process. It is the way that Republicans can totally sidetrack and jackknife a Democratic presidency. But yet, if you look at the modern version of this, the problem that Joe Biden has is that he's not as popular as Obama. Nor are the Republicans looked at quite as crazy, at least on their issue of national spending, in the way that the Tea Party Republicans were back in the early 10s. A CNN poll said that 60% of Americans believe that they should not raise the debt ceiling unless there are spending cuts. That's not what Biden wants to hear. Because the way that the Democrats usually negotiate their way out of stuff like this is by pointing out what people will lose should the Democrats lose. Still, this isn't about now. This is about history. And now you know how the debt ceiling fights went back in Obama's time. And that'll wrap it up for us today. Politics, 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 written and hosted by me, Justin Robert Young, for Dog and Pony Show Audio in Austin, Texas. Our show was edited by Brett Stewart. You can email the show, theyoungamerican at gmail.com. On Twitter, it is px3tweets. You can also find me on Twitter, Justin R. Young. Find me on Twitch Live, although uh, this week was a little sparse, but we'll be back next week. That is px3live.com. Newsletter. Free political newsletter. It's coming back. px3newsletter.com. I'm sending stuff out. Share this podcast with your friends, family, and clergy. px3podcast.com. You can support me with a one-time donation. paypal.me slash payjury. In fact, no, you want to know what? Enough of the one-time donations. If you want to make a one-time donation to a good cause, give it to Heaton's dog. MightyHeaton.com slash save Wallace. Spent a lot of time with Wallace. He's a big, dumb animal. He is a absolute unit. He's the only dog I've ever seen that Heaton just swings around a tire swing. And this dog locks his jaws on this some bitch. And the tree looks like it's going to break. He is yanking so hard. Lovable dog. He's got leg cancer. Help Heaton defray the cost. Mightyheaton.com slash save Wallace. Of course, if you want to get bonus content of this show, you got to go to takepoliticsseriously.com, including all of our breakdown on the Ron DeSantis announcement. $3 tier gets you two bonus podcasts per week covering all the news that we miss on our free podcasting schedule. And the Titanic $10 tier gets your name read at the end of the show like these fine folks. Jason, Andres, Matt, John Gross, C. Garcia, Matthew T. L. Basso, John, Craig Potts, MC Radio, Bugs Life, Neemeister, Unsafety, B. Levels, Amanda, EO Pinball Shop, DP4, Bongo, Catherine, Todd, and Gloria Young for King of the New World Order, Edison, Up, Up, Down, Down, Left, Right, Left, Right, B.A., Dr. G., Neil, Charles, Darren, 100 Mile Runner, Idris, Arslanian, Blue Front, and the Lenina, D.L., Steven, Chad, Nomadic Terran, Molly's Dashing Debut, Miranda Janelle, Adam, Chief Andy, Robert, Casey, Paul is awesome. Brad Richard, just another pilot, middle-aged Mike who loves Frank got abducted, Utah, Jimmy, Montana, the Gen, A-L-D-L-D-L-D. Really? Chopper, Andrew, Joshua, you want your name read on the show. One place to go. Take politics seriously.com.
we've got a primary, folks. DeSantis is in. I cannot wait to see this next week. DeSantis is a planner. Is the plan sufficient? Is he going to go toe-to-toe with Big Chungus? Oh, Meatball Ron, we'll find out. It all happens on this show. I like normal shows. Some shows talk about politics. Others talk about politics and still more discuss politics. But this, this is the only program that dares discuss. Oh! Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. (laughs) Dog and Pony Show Audio.